This is Robert Mitchell, and this is episode 27 of High Tide in the Dreamtime. And this has been an episode I've wanted to do for a while. It's, it's a challenging one, uh, but it's profound. Um, it's probably, I think, the most profound essay that I've written on my website at goingquantum.org, and the essay is called Suffering. And there's a lot of suffering going on now, so it's kind of apropos, I think. Um, one of the things about it is I often am sort of aspirational towards joy and towards awe and uh, happiness and fun and you know, that is a real thing. It's not ingenuine. It's not not there behind everything. But there's a great quote by Carl Jung that speaks to this directly where he says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. And why I want to talk about this today is, uh, in my work, uh, I always usually come in contact with people suffering. And their actual suffering is completely different from how they describe themselves. They can describe their histories, their traumas, their difficulties, and their biographies and their, their, their identities. But when they suffer, it occurs, when their suffering is revealed, it expresses itself almost like an orgasm. It's so unique that it's impossible to anticipate or to predict how somebody's suffering is gonna appear until it, it flows through them in its purest expression. Um, and I, like I said, I've always been interested in transcendence and how healing transcendence can be, and it is. However, in people's transcendent experience, if they want to have the, if they want to have the most transformative experience, they have to be willing to endure their suffering on that path because their suffering shows where their kind of eternal self, their unique self, their natural self, has been ignored or not empathized with or not encouraged. 
We're not welcomed into the world. And that can be abusive. It can be a physical abuse. It can be a sexual abuse. It can be being manipulated by unconscious people and adults. Or it can be as simple as somebody not empathizing with a very important part of a person because they don't have it in themselves. That's the saddest thing that happens to children when they present themselves to parents and the parents don't see what they're presenting or don't understand what they're presenting or aren't interested. And we've all formed around these experiences, even if the people around us were well-intentioned. Because nobody's that smart and nobody is that perfect. And the wounding of that, Jung thought that everybody's gift was found in their wounding. That's the way they discovered what was unique and profound and special and sensitive about themselves. So it's my belief that suffering, if one is willing to suffer, that is the staircase that leads to transcendence. I didn't believe that when I first started working with people in the ways that I do, but I believe it now. And I know it from my own experience. Um, you know, when I was 16, my father died of cancer. I was very close with him. And I was very functional in, the, in his death. I was very logical. You know, I had moments that were very emotional, but mostly I just kind of kept it together being 16. And then... Uh, Seven or eight years later, I was in graduate school and I had to be in analysis for, uh, to, to be able to do therapy with people. It was required. And I thought I was pretty together. I was smart. I was healthy. You know, I, I thought that, yeah, of course I'll do therapy because yeah, that's how I'll learn how to do therapy. And I went to this very clever Jungian analyst and we worked together for a while. And at a certain point, we got in touch with my suffering and my grief. At the, probably at the loss of my father, but probably also tied in with his lack of empathy for me in certain ways. And the suffering I found there was really profound. And it was tied in with, of course, with the grief of, of losing a, a parent so young. And when I got there, there were no more words. There was just weeping. And it would start at the beginning of, 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 working in the 50 minute hour and it would go right to the end and just weeping all the way through. And then I would walk out of his office. I wouldn't be weeping anymore, but I'd still be crying. Tears would still be flowing. And I'd walk down to the BART and I'd get on the BART and um, ride the BART back to San Francisco and then get on a uh, trolley back to the hate. And I'd still be crying the whole way. Some people thought I was crazy and, you know, but I felt all right. It was kind of very cathartic. And this would happen. I'd see him. And then it would happen every day, whether I saw him or not at a certain point. And 
it was just normal to me. And it was very, like I said, it was very cathartic. There was a lot in there. There's a lot of emotion in there. And at a certain point, I figured like, oh, I'll just be like this the rest of my life. I'll just be somebody who cries every day. Um, and that it really lasted for about a year, a year and a half. And then it ended. Like I was done with it. It, it was no longer part of my experience. I, when I think back about it, when I'm talking about it, it sounds pretty nuts. But I think it was probably life-saving because there was so much emotion and there was so much energy tied up in holding that emotion off because it was too much for a little boy, for a 16-year-old, which I was. Anyway, in... I also think that it was a preparation for the work that I do because some of the people that I work with, what gets access during their sits is suffering that up to that point, (coughs) excuse me, hasn't been metabolized. And oftentimes it's, People have wrapped their depression around it. And how they've wrapped their depression about it around it is that they are containing this experience, this experience that was unendurable at a certain period of their life. It doesn't matter when it was. PTSD is similar. Something they can they're using so much energy, they're like muscle-bound around this experience. And they're using so much of their vitality, so much of their libido, just to contain this experience and not let it out and not have to release this monster of suffering that was too scary to endure at some other point in their life. And when it comes out, as it will do during what I call sits, it's not intellectual, it's not verbal, it's not conceptual it is a re-experiencing of the denial of the divine and the suffering that has resulted from having to hold this experience to put so much of their energy into containing this experience out of their consciousness and When it comes, when I've seen it, it's an awesome experience. The air in the room changes. It's like a long absent spirit has entered. It often begins with a trickle. Sometimes the floodgates open all at once. But once the walls of the ego lower, the experience that lies beyond them floods awareness and defenses that have been in place for sometimes decades collapse and a flood of emotion and memories and sensations and frustrations rush into consciousness. And like I said, often these emotions and sensations and memories have been hidden from conscious awareness for decades or perhaps even a lifetime. I've had this experience myself in a different way. But when these feelings come, they run through the body 
and consciousness, which is the same thing. Your body and your consciousness are a unified field. And the only thing that creates resistance in the catharsis is the tolerance capacity of the individual. Crying, sobbing, wailing are all commonplace and it's always welcome. They're the death throes of holding on to a lifetime's burden, oftentimes with an enormous amount of energy that hasn't been available for other areas of their life. A lot of depression, and I mean this, I can't be more emphatic about this, a lot of depression is people using their vitality to contain these experiences and keep them out of their awareness because they're too painful. But you only have so much energy. I only have so much energy. Anyone only has so much energy. And if you're using 30% of your energy, 40% of your energy, 20% of your energy, it's a lot of energy. To hold off these experiences, then that energy is not available to your daily life, to your vitality, to your libido, to your uh, chi, because you're trying to keep this suffering away from, your, away from you. And one of the things that I see when people are going through this is they're worried that it's too much. They will ask me, is this okay? Am I doing this right? Is something wrong? When will this end? I've been with people who have wept for seven or eight hours. People have been depressed for 20 years. People who thought they'd always be depressed. And I've been with people who, they've cried for so long and been so exhausted and been so emptied of, the, of holding on to something they've been holding their whole life that they will spend seven or eight hours crying, weeping. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. And they'll call me a day or two or three late days later and say, I've never felt so good in my whole life. I can't remember ever feeling so good. Because what these things are, the suffering, it's like an undigested meal. It's like food poisoning. You have to swallow this thing that you may not like, you don't like how it tastes, you're not attracted to it, maybe you're repulsed by it, maybe it's made you feel terrible, but it's still in you, it's still in me, it's still in a person. And having the suffering roll through you, putting the walls down and letting it out, it's like vomiting uh, a tainted meal. It's like getting rid of something that shouldn't be inside you. It is like eating spoiled food and feeling terrible. And then once you vomit, feeling great again. And it is really my belief that what is healing about these experiences is 
being big enough and old enough or, or mature enough that you couldn't do it. I couldn't do it when I was 16, but I could do it when I was 23. Or sometimes you can't do it when you're four, you can do it when you're 50, or you can't do it when you're 12, you can do it when you're 30. Is letting yourself have the experience that was too terrifying to have, that was too threatening to have, that was too devastating to have now. And it's as though it's always been waiting there to be experienced, even though it's in your past. It's still in your consciousness. It's still in your body. And it's such a relief to unburden oneself of this, to no longer have to hold on to these things. And then what often follows this is laughter like you've never heard. It sounds so counterintuitive, but it's predictable. I always know if somebody has a cathartic experience of suffering, they're going to laugh like mad children afterwards because they're so relieved because they've been holding this since the moment it happened. And by releasing it, it's gone. It's not in them anymore. It's not a part of them anymore. It's almost like time travel. It's as though the adult part of you can experience something that a younger part of you or a too threatened, traumatized part of you could not experience. It is one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in my life. And I always feel like it's a privilege to bear witness to. But I also will say this, that each one of us, our consciousness is large enough to contain these experiences when we have them. And it's large enough to release them. And suffering is the gateway to the transcendent. It is the artifact of where we have last known the transcendent before it was threatened, where our circumstances caused us to lose touch with it. It's like a trail of crumbs left in the forest. It shows us where we have deviated for, from our transcendent origins and become distracted from that primary reality. It's not to be avoided, it's to be embraced. It will never let you down. And what you see is you see people who've been in a ball their whole life, like a potato bug, around an experience or around a few experiences that are usually constellated together And they open up and they blossom and it lasts. It's a relief. It's a catharsis. It's a transcendence that lasts after they have the experience. I've never not seen it work. I've never seen it not stop. 
I've been amazed by some people by how long they can have this experience for, but I've never not seen the end of it. And I think anybody out there, you know, suffer this kind of suffering, it's the root of so many things. It's the root of so many things in our culture. So many kinds of addictions, so many kinds of obsessions, so many kinds of distractions, so many kinds of isms. And it's as though the entire culture is designed to camouflage our origins. Which are so beautiful. And so profound. And so we started off this with darkness, darkness. It's the Youngbloods. It's Jimmy Page's favorite band. So that's important. And we're going to end it with one of the anthems, also by the Youngbloods. We got the darkness and we got the light, just as we have the suffering and we have the transcendence. And I don't know if anybody knew that that was the Youngbloods when I first played it, but they'll know this one and it's a whole lot lighter. <laughs> 